Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise And it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Parshall is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. If a gift of any amount, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, Please enjoy the podcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a nation. 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. Hi, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. I'm just going to offer a personal perspective here for a minute. I've shared with you that one of the privileges I have in this position is I get to read an awful lot of books and review them. And I'm seeing a trend that I have not seen for quite some time that I find to be personally very comforting. And I will tell you also, I think is very necessary. And that is we've got a lot of books out there that talk about Uh, oh, your best life ever and improving yourself and all of the positives that are a part of the Christian faith. And there are. But you know what my mommy used to say? She used to quote the poet who said, life is real, life is earnest. And then I will quote John Bunyan, who said when Pilgrim was caught by the giant despair and held up in Doubting Castle, since life is attended by so much bitterness, why don't you make an end of yourself? And then there's the book of James, that says that in this life, we're going to have trials. Not maybe, not kind of, maybe you'll be lucky and you'll dodge a bullet. Nope, nope, it says when, it's pretty directive. And if you're uh, more than a couple of years old, you already understand that life is going to have some trials, some ups and downs. But then when you stop and think about it, take a deep breath for a minute, realize where we are, we're east of Eden and we're not yet in glory. So the best is yet to come. This dear friend is not as good as it gets. So when bad things happen and bad things will happen in this life, how do we approach God? Does he give us permission to be mad? 
Does he give us permission? Notice I'm lowering my voice on this because for a ton of believers, these are questions you've asked when you're in the midst of a trial. Is it okay to be mad at God? Can I really pour out my heart? Can I wrestle with him? And by the way, while we're at it, what exactly does the word lament mean? Well, we're going to go deep on that topic today because I think, and I said before, this is a 500-level Sunday school class. We're getting off that stuff called milk. We're moving to meat. And I don't know, I checked and I looked out in the marketplace of ideas and things are getting wilder and more aggressively anti-bibliocentric worldview than ever before. So I think we'd better know what we believe and why we believe it. And knowing how to wrestle with God and understanding that we have been given, wait for it, permission to lament, that's a whole big boatload of theology that a whole lot of people have just chosen not to acknowledge. But Clint Watkins didn't. He decided that he would write about it. Clint is a missionary to college students serving with a group called Disciple Makers, which is a campus ministry based in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He has suffered the loss of not one but two babies, and he has written the book called Just Be Honest, How to Worship Through Tears and Prayer Without Pretending. He lives in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with his wife and their son, Conley, as well. Clint, I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I poured over this book. I'm glad you can't see my copy because it's dog-eared, it's underlined, and honestly, it's tear-stained in some spots. So I thank you so much for taking us to a place that a lot of us don't know or don't want to go to, and we just do a big sidestep around this, hoping that somehow we'll just avoid those fiery trials which makes me have a whole bunch of questions to ask you as we begin. And the first is, if you hadn't gone through the fiery trial of losing two babies, do you think you would have ever written this book? Uh, that's that's a great question, Janet. Probably not, mm. uh, because our our losses is what are what thrust us into uh, the scriptures to figure out how to navigate the darkness. Um, we weren't unfamiliar with suffering or unfamiliar with the ways that Scripture talks about suffering, but um, when you go through loss, especially the loss of two babies, it just throws you into the darkness in a way that uh, you can't anticipate. So, yeah, actually, not just my suffering, but I like to attribute this book, Just Be Honest, to our firstborn son, Eli, because mm-hmm. uh, it's sharing his story and showing his value even in what, what we share. Yeah, and I'm so glad you did that. And can I just say, as a sister in the Lord, Thank you for your transparency. We need that so, so much in the church. You know, we just continue to promulgate this idea that you come to Christ and you live heavily after, ever, happily ever after, and you do eventually, eternally. But from the moment you say yes, Lord, to the moment he calls you home, the, the, if we promulgate this idea that it's all, you know, fluffy clouds and angels playing on harps and everything is terrific, we do a disservice to the authenticity of the gospel. So I want to thank you for being transparent about your experience because we tend to go very private in our pain because we're always concerned about our witness. And somehow we think lamenting is antithetical to a good, mature, biblical witness. So let me unpack some words first. Lament is an old-fashioned word. What does it mean to lament? Uh, Yeah, it is is a little old-fashioned. Thankfully, it's becoming a little bit more common uh, in the church, though hopefully it, it becomes even more popular. But I, I simply define lament as wrestling honestly with the Lord. Mm. Um, there's there's formal ways you could talk about lament, but really you just see it all throughout the scriptures. You see Abraham lamenting, you see saints in heaven lamenting in Revelation, and you see Jesus lamenting. Um, and I, I try to put some framework and some um, 
some points to it, but the way I define it is just, I mean, it's the title of the book, Just Being Honest with God. It's a way to, to, to bring your pain to the Lord, and also in that process you're able to, to share with Him your, your difficulties, your uncertainties, your, your hard questions, and it's through this process of lament that He leads us to hope and praise and joy and trust. Mm. Mm. So let me go back to a use of the word wrestle, because I think for a lot of people, when the, and I agree with you, by the way, but I want to break this down because words are the only way we have to convey ideas. And if they become a stumbling block, there won't be a desire to dig deeper. So when we think of wrestle, <laughs> I think for a whole lot of believers, it's, well, there's an, if you look at it from a mortal's perspective, there's an opponent and one person wins. And the word wrestle, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood is one way to look at it in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, there was this fellow who decided to wrestle and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. So yeah. we we look at this idea of wrestling as somehow being rebellion, that there's something wrong with it, that he's a holy God and I shouldn't be wrestling. Now, that's a big question and you hear the music. So if I may, would you give me the answer to that on the other side? So I think your definition was exquisite, but I want to unpack the permission aspect of this because here I think is the rub of the issue, which is, wait a minute, he's a holy God. How in the world am I allowed to wrestle with God? Flint Watkins is with us. He's written the book, Just Be Honest. He comes not only with the ethos, but with the pathos of someone who knows what it's like to suffer and then find hope. That, by the way, is what happens when you go through your lamentations. Back after this. God, why am I here? How should I live? Could you find the answer to those crucial questions from God's Word? That's why I've chosen I Believe as this month's truth tool. Learn the essentials of our faith in a clear and succinct way. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to In the Market with JanetPartial.org. We have the privilege to spend the hour with Clint Watkins, who deals with a campus ministry called Disciple Makers, based in Pennsylvania. He has a heart for teaching college students about who Jesus is. And he joins us today as the author of Just Be Honest, How to Worship Through Tears and Prayer Without Pretending. Just a very powerful and important book. So the question I asked after you gave a beautiful definition of what it means to lament, and you brought up the idea that this is wrestling with God, <clears throat> that somehow... Again, if you look at wrestling, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we've got an enemy there. We have an opponent. There's a war. You look at the Old Testament, Jacob wrestles with an angel. He walks with a limp for the rest of his life. So for a lot of people, the idea of wrestling looks like there's an opponent and there's a winner and there's a loser. And oh my, this is a holy God. How dare I do this? Isn't this a form of rebellion? So walk me through that. Yeah, it's a great question. <clears throat> I think um, if we were to write the story, we, that's where we would land in terms of who are we, sinful, selfish, rebellious people, to be able to talk to God honestly and, and share what's actually in our hearts and what we're wrestling with, what we're struggling with internally. Uh, and even kind of the narrative we often subscribe to is, well, God has saved us, God is good, so just trust Him and smile through your trials. And that would be the conclusion we would come to if it weren't for the Bible. Uh, you know, you mentioned Jacob getting renamed Israel, which mm -hmm. means 
the one who struggles with God. Mm-hmm. And God wasn't uh, content to just name an individual wrestles with God. He named the whole people of Israel after that. Uh, and one of the first times that that name is used to describe the entire people of Israel is in Exodus, when they're groaning to the Lord to uh, be saved out of their slavery. So even just one of the first times that Israel is used to describe God's people is in a place of suffering, where they're crying out honestly for salvation and redemption. And you see that theme carried all the way throughout Scripture, particularly in the Psalms, which is God's prayer book that he gave his people to sing and pray, uh, both you know in the Old Testament and New Testament. And all throughout the Psalms, you get picture of individuals and uh, groups of people wrestling honestly with the Lord. They're, they're honest. They, they share their hearts. They ask their tough questions. And God doesn't just tolerate it. Uh, he welcomes it. And he, he puts it in the book of Psalms, in, in the scriptures, to show this isn't just a, a marginal thing. This is actually crucial to the life of faith. Mm, wow. And you realize, Clint, when you say that, there are a lot of people who think, wait a minute, what's crucial to the life of faith is having faith in Christ. So I adhere to his promises. And in my sorrow, I'm playing the devil's advocate here, by the way, not that I would ever want him as a client, but I digress. The point is, <laughs> when when we talk about this idea of uh, faith, we have all of these promises. We know that he's there, that he, he quiets us with the singing, right, and all of the things that we hear in Scripture. So I just need to press through to the promises, and that's the way I push through my grief. But you're saying, wait a minute, before you get to the promises, there is this appropriate opportunity to lament. So I turn to you, and this is where you get to argue your case. Where does Scripture give us permission to say it's all right to, and I'm going to use your words because they're beautiful, to wrestle with God? Well, part of that, I could just read the book for you because I I made sure (laughs) to include a a lot of Scripture because I, I wanted people to walk away knowing that Scripture is full of this permission. Uh, but a couple of key places that I turn to, uh, Romans 8, for instance, we're, we're used to one of those promises from Romans 8, 828, which says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, mm-hmm. for those who are called according to his purpose. I mean, that's a, that is a very helpful promise to cling to in suffering. Uh, you know, your, your pain is not pointless if you're in Christ. Um, but the way that we apply that is, well, then just trust what God is doing. But we forget that Earlier in Romans 8, just a few verses, uh, Paul says in, in verse 23, we groan inwardly as we wait for adoption. And not only that, he says in verse 26 that the Spirit groans with us, with groanings too deep for words. So in the same letter that Paul says uh, all things work together for good, and earlier in Romans he says we rejoice in our sufferings, he also says we groan inwardly and God groans with us and for us. So uh, what I've recognized in, in Scripture is it's not an either-or, it's not a black and white, it's a both-and. We are both clinging to join the promises of God, and I, I think what the Bible shows is the primary way we do that is, is actually through lament, through groaning, and through that, that grief and that groaning, it's, it's the process that God brings us to, to cling to His promises. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so let me go to that exact passage, because that's excellent. So if we are, there's Brother Paul telling us that we are to rejoice in our suffering. So that's the position 
I think we think generally as followers of Christ, we're supposed to default to that, okay, I'm going to cling to the promises. I'm going to rejoice, right? And we know that, you know, perseverance and per- perseverance produces character, character, hope, and hope never fails. So I'm just going to press on through. But what you're saying is there's a prologue to that, which is this opportunity to lament, to be able to cry out to God. You know, let, let me just linger with Paul for a little while. So uh, this is what Chuck Swindoll calls the theology of thrones. I love his word choice for that. So if he asks over and over and over again for this thorn in the flesh, whatever it is, and we won't know until we have an opportunity to sit down and talk to Paul for all eternity after we spent all of the first part of eternity talking to Jesus, and we can say, what was that? And how did you deal with the fact that here you were, the man who's responsible for most of the New Testament and the advancement of the church in the first century, um, what in the world would you do when God didn't remove that? Did you, Brother Paul, wrestle? Do we have an indication in any of his letters that he wrestled? I think so, yeah. Um, I mean, you can even turn over to Second Corinthians. You get a mm-hmm. couple examples in Second in Corinthians. Um, for example, he, he really, Paul models his wrestling after the wrestling of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's got the thorn in his side, and he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to remove it from me. Um, so he didn't just say, well, God's going to work this out for good, so I'll just trust him. No, he, he pleaded with God. He struggled with him to, to ask for its removal, and it was through that struggle that he was able to trust him. Mm, wow. Flint Watkins is with us. He's the author of the book, Just to Be Honest, How to Worship Through Tears and Prayer Without Pretending. He writes the book in two sections, which I think is wonderful, really helps us take a long, studied look at this idea of lamenting. First part is being honest with God. The second part is being honest with each other. More with Clint right after this. Watkins is with us. He's a missionary to college students serving with Disciple Makers Ministry. He lives in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with his wife and his son, and he's the author of the book, Just Be Honest, How to Worship Through Tears and Prayer Without Pretending. I'm going to get to the story of your son Eli in a minute, but we were talking about Paul. Let's look to Jesus, because you write about this in the book, about how Jesus wept and he wrestled. Talk to me first about Jesus standing at the grave of Lazarus. I always found this so interesting that Jesus wept. And I thought, here is the God man who knows that he is about to raise this man from the dead. Why in the world would Jesus be weeping at the death of Lazarus? And you write about that, Clint. Give me your answer. Yeah, uh, that probably is my go-to passage, and it has helped me in a number of ways over the years, uh, particularly because, like you said, he from our perspective, didn't have any reason to cry. Right. Uh, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus. I mean, the way I think about it is he, he could have just, at this point, and he's even done this in, in other stories, he could have told them, don't worry, Lazarus is just sleeping, I'm going to raise him. But he doesn't. He, he, he weeps. He slows down, and he sheds tears. And I think, that actually, the, 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 the story itself tells why. The very next verse says, uh, those who were looking said, see how he loved him. Mm. So at the very least, his weeping is an expression of love uh, for those around him, both Lazarus' sisters, I think everyone there, family and friends. And um, I I found that so helpful and instructive that if the sovereign 
God in the flesh would slow down and shed tears, surely we can too. Like, it's not just uh, a human thing. It's not a, a sinful thing, but there's a good and godly reality to expressing grief when you're experiencing loss or something difficult. Mm. And not only that, too, but I, when it, the Scripture reminds me that he is acquainted with all our sorrows, that's not just a declaration. It's exemplified in that moment at the tomb. So there's a credibility that gets added to that as well, which I so greatly appreciate. But I love the fact that you don't just talk about Christ at the graveside. You talk about Christ in Gethsemane. And I asked you before about the definition of wrestling. Wow. There's a perfect example of Jesus wrestling. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, his, his wrestling match in the garden and on the cross is, is pretty intense. Uh, I mean, he is sorrowful unto the point of death, is what he tells his disciples. Uh, and and they're, they're there within listening distance to, to hear and even see what's going on. Um, and that, again, is, is mind-blowing for us because Jesus is sovereign. He's you know, the, the strongest human who's, who's ever lived, you would expect him to kind of go into Jerusalem with a battle cry and, and ready to take on anything. Uh, yet he is so troubled that he is wrestling with his father and, and asking, uh, you know, verse 36 of, of Mark 14, remove this cup from me. Mm. Um, and, and similar to what we said earlier with Paul, he says this three times. So it's not just one prayer and then he's good, he's ready to go. No, he, he repeats this prayer several times until he can, he can say, uh, all right, we're, we're moving forward with this. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? Because I just want to linger in the garden for a minute, because remember, this is the God-man. He comes to earth knowing his plan is to die for us, the propitiation for our sins, as it says. And yet in that garden, he does make that declaration. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Um, this is, do we say this is where his humanity is manifest? Because the God and the God-man knows he's come to be the unblemished lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But the man part says this is going to be excruciating in ways that no other mortal will ever understand. If it's possible, let this pass from me. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to be the skeptic for a minute and say, does that show a weakness in Christ's character when he prays that? Uh, yeah, you could, you could make that argument, uh, particularly because that's how we tend to think of uh, difficult emotions. We think that they're weak. Um, we've even called them negative emotions, which ha already has a, a connotation of these are the uh, inferior types of emotions. But I think one of the things that you can take away from Jesus expressing sorrow is that there is a goodness to even the quote-unquote negative emotions, that there mm. is God gave us emotions, and there is a, a good, godly way to experience and express things like sorrow and fear and anxiety. Um, so, yeah, it, it does sound, uh, on the one hand, weak, but I also think, like you said earlier, like Hebrews says, that, that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. um, it, it actually paints a picture of, of a much more compassionate God than we could ever fathom, that not only would he understand, you know, like a like look up what pain feels like on Wikipedia, but he would actually experience it yes, yes. Uh, with us and for us. Yeah. Again, so thankful that that part of who he is is revealed because that creates an even deeper intimacy with the one who is the unconditional lover of our soul. But going back to that moment where he says, if it's possible, 
in that moment is where I see the, uh, there are a myriad of other cases as you make so beautifully in the book, just be honest. But in that moment, it really exemplifies what a lament is because it, it, we can now drop it circumstantially into our prayers of lament. God, if it's possible, cure my son. If it's possible, um, take away the diagnosis. If it's possible, restore my marriage. So in other words, in that wrestling part, why are you allowing this to happen, God? If Jesus can do it and he was without blemish, then that certainly exemplifies that we also are given permission to lament as well. This conversation is going too fast. Clint, the book is called Just Be Honest, How to Worship, note the operative word there, how to worship through tears and prayer without pretending. Again, Clint is a missionary to college students serving with disciple makers, and he's dedicated this book to his son, Eli. We're going to learn more about Eli when we return. do you tune into In the Market once, twice a week, every day? If this program is valuable to you, why not become a partial partner? Your financial support is invaluable as we apply God's word to current events and modern culture. Knowing we can count on your monthly gift encourages us to deliver relevant and up-to-date content every day. Become a partial partner today by calling 877-JANET58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We're visiting with Clint Watkins, who's a missionary to college students serving with Disciple Makers, which is a campus ministry based in Pennsylvania. He joins me today as the author of How, Just Be Honest, How to Worship Through Tears and Prayer Without Pretending. Eli is very present in this book. You dedicate it to him, and he is very much the wellspring from which this tutorial in your life personally comes from. And in turn, we are blessed to be taught by you as a result of this. Tell me the story of Eli. Yeah, thank you so much for asking, Janet. Um, it's uh, an honor as a father to continue sharing Eli's story. Mm. So we um, we found out halfway through Jillian, my wife's first pregnancy, that our son had a fatal condition. So it was an ultrasound appointment, an anatomy scan, and they identified a, a condition that he had um, that meant that he would continue growing in the womb, but he would not survive delivery. And so we found out 18 weeks in, still uh, with about half the pregnancy to go, that we were going to lose our son. Uh, so not just that uh, we had lost our son, but we are going to lose our son. So that's mm-hmm. really the uh, the context that thrust us into such dark and difficult, such a dark and difficult season that we had to anticipate the death of our firstborn before we even met him. Um, and so. Uh, you know, there there were a lot of ups and downs and, and grief and, and anxiety and, and heartbreak throughout that season, uh, but it really reached its pinnacle because he was born uh, 10 weeks earlier than we were expecting. So even all the, the things we had tried to do to kind of commemorate the time, to, to, to spend the time we could with him while he was uh, still in, in the womb, it, it was another, uh, basically a nightmare, another, a second wave of a nightmare because he was... Uh, born early and he didn't survive birth um so that was that was the uh, the experience we had in in having him and and losing him mm. so even those anticipated perhaps few moments 
of being with him if he had been born term were eliminated as well. So this is the refiner's fire. Nobody wants to be there. Nobody signs up for it. And yet that's where we are so changed forever. So as you and your wife went through this experience, and I really want our friends to understand that this was a diagnosis, which meant every day you had him until he was going to make his appearance. And then you knew that it was going to be no more. So it was, you talk about conflicted feelings, Clint. You're happy that you had him as long as you could beating under your wife's heart, but you knew that when he came, that would be the end. Did you and your wife ever get mad at God? Short answer, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I would say that was a, an, an emotion we, we carried with us for, for a while. We had, a, I mean, basically every emotion that you could feel in that season um, directed toward our circumstances, towards the Lord. Um, but yeah, I mean, confusion, hurt, anger, sadness, um, those were the primary things that we were feeling, not, not even just for that season, but for a very long time afterwards. And and it still resurfaces, um, you know, though the edges of our grief are softer than they used to be. We're, we're still parents who, uh, have two babies that we wish were, were here with us, um, but our experience, particularly through uh, being able to wrestle with the Lord, has as what has been what has sustained us through those seasons and through those emotions. Hmm. So when you're going through that, and I thank you again for your transparency, um, how do you pray as a couple? I mean, if you you don't want to ever move away from trusting the Lord, but we are by definition optimistic realists. And if the prognosis is such that the outlook looks grim for Eli, how do you pray? What what sorts of prayers? And you talk about groaning. You went back to that verse before. I am so thankful that the Comforter can transmit the prayers I can't even utter. There had to be many moments like that for you and your wife. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was uh, at times just felt impossible to even face the Lord. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate Romans 8 also just groaning. The, the sound of sighing or the experience of crying can be translated as prayers. Um, or I remember Psalm 77 being a, a really big comfort to me. The psalmist says, when I remember God, I groan. Mm. Um, in, in other words, he's not actually being comforted in, in the particular season that he's facing. Um, and so we really wrestled with how, how to talk to the Lord and how to face him. I, I even mentioned in the book, this, this sounds terrible to admit, but I'm a full-time missionary. I teach and preach the gospel. I disciple students. I lead, you know, men and women to, to trust Jesus and, and have faith. And yet there was a two-month period where I, I didn't talk to God. Um, I knew he was in the room with me. I knew that he was with us and for us, but it was so hard to even figure out how to talk to him. Um, and that's really where uh, the the laments of Scripture really gave a voice to my pain and even to my silence as well. In that, that and again, I just so appreciate your honesty in that period of time where you knew he was there, but you were not on speaking terms. Did you ever think you were being punished? Uh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, theologically, I just knew that wasn't, true. I knew Romans 8.1, uh, there's no condemnation for those yeah. who are in Christ. I knew that uh, God allowing our son to have this condition and, and taking him away was not punishment for anything we had done. I, I, 
I never doubted that. Um, and thankfully, it's because I had been uh, convinced of that earlier by people who loved me well enough to teach me scripture and, and the truth of the gospel. Yeah. Um, but that didn't take away the the pain and confusion of it. Um, it was very Job-like, you know, in, in the sense of, uh, I, I, I know who you are, God, and I, I have these promises that I trust, but it doesn't take away how bad this feels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this goes back to what you said earlier. <clears throat> so often, I think, as believers, it's an either-or rather than understanding more often than not. It's a both-and. And so mm-hmm. that, that I really think, um, is exemplified by the way in which you just answered that question. You talk about the power of Psalms 42 and 43 and how those particularly began to speak to you and helped you really understand explaining your pain to the Lord. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, Psalm 42 and 43 are, uh, for me, kind of a case study of what most laments, uh, what, what most laments are, uh, include. And um the even the beginning image has been so instructive because as a deer pants for flowing streams we often have an image and if you google it you'll you'll find deer uh, a deer in a river and that's not what that that verse says it says a deer is panting for water in other words it uh knows it needs water to survive but it can't find it and the psalmist uses that as an illustration for his relationship with god and what you see in those those two psalms is uh, this back and forth of trusting but also being troubled and and, and questioning um uh, it, i think thirst is a really good image for how it can feel where you know that god is the life source but you're also wondering at times where he is or why he isn't showing up in in ways that seem to align with his promises so Psalm 42 and 43 were just so helpful um, in, in allowing that. Here's a worship leader who's admitting he's, he's struggling to worship. Uh, he is asking really tough questions about where God is. And even the repeated refrain, which a lot of us are familiar with, why are you downcast, O my soul? He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. That was probably the most helpful thing for me, that I realized, oh, He's talking about praise as a future thing, that, that one day he's going to praise God again. So he can have hope in God right now, mm-hmm. even if his hope is praiseless for the moment. Um, and that just really freed, freed me up to realize, as I struggle with God and ask him these questions, that doesn't mean I'm hopeless, but it does mean, it can mean that my, my praiselessness is not... Uh, defiant. It actually can be a part of struggling to worship God and, and trusting Him to, to bring you to that place again. Mm. Let me read what you wrote, because I think it echoes what you just said. You say, talking to God about your pain won't necessarily be easy. Pause. It may be one of the reasons why so many of us don't do it. But you say, it first requires that you engage with what's going on in your soul, which takes courage. Confronting the darkness in and around you is hard, and you're surrounded by distractions that disengage you from your heart. But to lament is a bold decision to linger on the difficulties you face. So be brave. Slow down. Seek to understand the brokenness you feel and express it to God. So this is an interesting postmodern experience for the believer, which is, you know, you stand in the checkout line of the grocery store, and it's all about um, relieving pain. We are pain averse in this culture. We'll go out of our way to do anything. It's why we have an addiction problem through the roof, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're actually saying, no, stop and examine your pain. That's antithetical to the whole world around us. Talk to me about how you, Clint, found the courage to do exactly what you wrote 
And where did that courage come from? Uh, honestly, that it's hard to call it courage. Um, <laughs> I like the, the definition of courage, not as this bravery, but as the original use of the word, which is full-heartedness, mm. um, to engage the, the full the fullness of what your heart is experiencing. And um, I would attribute it to God's grace, and particularly through the people who I had the privilege of walking with before we experienced what we experienced. I, I got to see many other faithful men and women do that very thing, experience really hard things, and not shy away from those difficulties. So there's nothing special in me that summoned the bravery, but really it's, it's the community of people who have been around us. Wow. You took me where I wanted to go because the second part of the book, and I would be remiss if we didn't spend some time there, is about being honest with each other. And again, this goes to the issue of transparency and openness. We'll continue with Clint Watkins on his book, Just Be Honest, right after this. Just Be Honest, How to Worship Through Tears and Prayer Without Pretending. That's the new book by Clint Watkins, who's a missionary to college students serving with the Disciple Makers, which is a campus ministry that's based in Pennsylvania. The second part of the book, you really talk about how we need each other. And, you know, the Bible tells us to bear one another's burdens. That's easier read and said than done, because that requires, first of all, your willingness to step into somebody else's pain and it also requires that the person who's mourning, lamenting, that they have to be transparent. Pain tends to make us isolated. It doesn't tend to make us automatically reach out in community. So let me start with a positive on this, Clint. What are some of the things that we should be doing if someone is open and honest enough about their being in pain? You write, for example, you're being in church and the pain just disassembled you and your wife and your pastor ushered you out of the sanctuary so that you could be in a room where you could weep together. And then you think, looking back on it, that sorrow, in fact, you write beautifully, sorrow shouldn't have to be escorted out of the sanctuary. So let's just say the mourner is open and transparent. What do we do? Because, boy, I tell you what, Christians are the best argument for and against Christianity, as C.S. Lewis used to say. Talk to me about the good things we should do first before we talk about the things we shouldn't do. Yeah, I would say the the main thing that was so helpful for both my wife and I is just listening. Um, we had we were so fortunate to have many people, friends and family, uh, and we both saw really good counselors to to help in our our grieving. Uh, so many good listeners. It's the opposite of what you see in the Book of Job. <laughs> Job's mm. so-called friends are. Job calls them miserable comforters, and God rebukes them. I think the main thing is they just talk too much. <laughs> they got it right in the beginning because they just sat and, and, and grieved alongside Job. Um, and, yeah, for us, we just had several good friends, and, and really we had a, a close inner circle of people who were willing to listen to us, ask questions, and not jump to answering the questions or offering solutions. Um, but really just drawing us out, weeping with us. I mean, the amount of tears that I shed in that season uh, could not be counted. But it's amazing to think back and to think through that 
I would look through tears and, and have several other people in our court who are crying with us and for us as well. Um, and so that would be my main thing that I would encourage other people to do. And I don't say that as an expert. I need to grow a lot in this as well. But what helped us was simply someone who is willing to listen and just sit there with you in, in the difficulty. Yeah. And you don't have to have an answer. Just my mom used to call that the strength of presence, just being there for somebody to let them know, like you said, um, being rebuked because they were talking too much. I think you're spot on with that observation. So what are the things that we shouldn't do? Well, the opposite of listening is talking. <laughs> and and I understand it, it makes so much sense. And I feel this pressure too. It, it's not, it's not a, um, a bad desire. We often want to comfort people, which is a good desire. We want to offer some sort of solace or consolation or comfort. Um, but there are so many times when somebody's going through something and there's just no golden answer for them. There's, there's nothing that can ease the pain in that moment. Um, even the promises of God, like those are true things that we hold to, but it, that doesn't alleviate the pain um, in, in the moment. And so I would say the, the thing not to do is don't talk too much. Um, and along with that, I would say to not assume even somebody who goes through a similar thing, um, like like I, I experience a lot of, um, I have a lot of conversations with other lost parents, um, and it's tempting for me to even, you know, map my grief onto their experience. And that's just, everybody's story is different. Mm-hmm. Everybody's makeup is different. Um, and so not to assume that even if you have experienced something similar, that you know exactly what it's what they're experiencing, um, which again, just goes back to, to listening and, and understanding. So speaking, don't speak too much, even though we want to, um, and don't assume uh, what they're going through or what even might help. Again, listen and ask. Yeah, yeah, such good counsel. You talked about at Eli's memorial service that there was a communal call and response built around Psalm 44, and you make the point that communal lament is important. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, that that point, again, is drawn from the Psalms, and, and Paul commands Christians to use the Psalms in their singing. And so what you get as you read through the Psalms, which a third of them are laments, is that corporate worship in Scripture looks and feels a little bit different than, than the typical corporate worship service today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot messier. There's a lot more lamenting and 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 honesty. Not that that praise and positivity is, is inherently wrong. It's a good thing, um, but you see a much wider range of expression and experience uh, in the Psalms. And so, I think lamenting together, whether that's in a small group or as a family, as a group of friends, or as a church as a whole, would be to incorporate some of the things we see in the Psalms into our singing and our prayers and our conversations, which is um, being honest, you know, sharing our, our questions and our sorrows and not feeling the need to, to wrap those up or, you know, move too quickly to uh, the positive side of things, but to, to be okay with lingering and asking questions and, and letting other people wrestle and doing that together. Um, yeah, Eli's memorial service, I still can remember the feeling of hearing everyone there say, awake, why are you sleeping, oh Lord? Mm. And just to know that there were our closest family and friends 
calling out to God on our behalf, with us and for us. Um, there's, there's, I, I can't even put a value term on that. It just was so helpful to us to be uh, to have other people lamenting with us. Wow. One last question in an hour that's gone far too quickly, Clint. You talk about letting others in. Was that hard for you and your wife to do? It, it was and it wasn't. It's It's been hard in the sense of we're both different people, and so we have different preferences on how to let others in. Um, but we, our experience has actually strengthened our marriage by God's grace, and so we have been unified in our desire to share Eli's story and, and understand that if we're going to survive, if, if we're going to get through this, we need to let others in. So mm. it's been different in, in our preferences, but we've been unified in our desire to do so. Mm. Clint, I thank you so much for such a rich conversation. And I'm going to repeat myself. I thank you for being open and transparent of allowing us to hear part of your journey of grief and lamenting. And in so doing, you're encouraging us to be reminded that we have been given permission to wrestle with God and the Psalms. If you can't know what to say, like you just said, you talked about Psalm 42, Psalm 43, Psalm 44. If you don't have the words, the Holy Spirit will take them to the throne, but he's also provided words as well. Thank you, Clint, so much. We'll see you next time, friends.